Well, the last couple of weeks I've been talking about, um, you know, this process of disengaging trust and discerning. And I thought I'd spend a little bit more time on that, on that very first piece about disengaging and how do we disengage. Because once we disengage, the next two can follow on a little bit easier. Um, it's a little, it, 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 once we feel the results of disengaging uh, with defilements, we learn to trust right away, you know, that's a, because it's a, it's a, there's a definite feeling of relief uh, that happens. And once we feel that sense of um, release, relief, we can really trust that, oh yeah, this process actually works. And, uh, and then the result is that we can, in that space where we're trusting and calm down a bit, we can discern an opportunity for um, good karma. How can I, is there an opportunity for me here for good, good karma? So, and so I'll visit those again in just a minute, but I want to focus on disengaging for a moment because this is something that um, I'm a person like, like many people, but I'm a person who really likes to analyze. And I can oftentimes get caught in my habit of analyzing the heck out of things. And I'll even say the hell out of things because oftentimes it brings me into a hell state. <laughs> um, it, it's, a, it's a habit that many of us have um, in the Western world we can quite easily build a very strong habit of disengaging our mind from our heart and that just trying to think our way out of suffering as opposed to experiencing it, understanding it, feeling it, not feed it, Watch it dissipate. You know, that's all heart stuff. We can't think our way through uh, an experience and actually ex- stay with it. As more, we keep thinking about it, we stay up in our heads and out of our hearts. So how do we disengage? How do we get back into our body? How do we build a habit of not um, separating our heart, our emotions, our experience from uh, our consciousness, say. And then, as far as I understand it, and, uh, you know, please I'll, I'm, all I'm doing is pointing to teachers who are far more skilled than I am, and so I can't speak at their skill level. Um, but I can point. <laughs> so I can point to Ajahn Chah, point to Ajahn Pasano right there, read his stuff. I'm going to read a little tiny bit out of Ajahn Pasano's book, Boundless Heart, in a moment. 
Um, so I'm just pointing, but I can't give you the same level of skill and wisdom that they can give, or that Ajahn Pasano can, can give us at this time. So, um, but I'm pointing. So, um, as I understand how to disengage from my analytical mind, is to return to my body, is to bring my attention to my body. So when I feel there's a, uh, it would be fruitful for me to disengage because I'm uncomfortable, I'm suffering over something, I just got some news um, that is really ticking me off, or might I even say pissing me off. I'm, I just got some news that just, oh my gosh, no, this isn't correct, this isn't right, I'm going to fight it, <laughs> this kind of thing. And when we get this kind of news, we can get, you know, angry. And, and anger is going to make us suffer. When I get news that angers me, how do I disengage from it? How do I, well, the trick is to not feed it. So recognizing that my heart is constricted, my heart has gone clamped. And, and we can feel this. We can feel this clamping up in our, in our heart. I'm pissed. I don't know if you can see that. <laughs> I feel it in my heart. Ah, damn it. <laughs> I better be careful. I might get mad. <laughs> anyway, so we can feel it. So we and notice that. Oh, I'm, I'm pissed. My heart is clamped. I remember once somebody reading an email. I can rem- I can remember to the best of my memory. Anyway, I can remember pretty much what this email said <laughs> many years ago. Where I literally, this this person's, um, you know, a, a visual of this person came up in mine. And I literally felt my heart go, turn. Just like, turn its back and close. This is what we call constricted. This is a, a, const- a very restricted or constricted point of view. This person or this event this government or whatever it is, this pisses me off right now. So now all I can see is a very narrow point of view, that which agrees with everything that's wrong with person, uh, institution, uh, or whatever it is, organization or whatever it is that we're, we happen to be pissed off at at the moment. And so... We can't see beyond our own suffering. And so how do we disengage from this constricted view while not ignoring or, um, you know, uh, avoiding the reality that this is something happening, that something's happening that's painful. And um, in part, we can first tell ourselves, that that you know there's there's nothing i need to do right now but enter my body feel what does this suffering feel like where do i feel it you know so feeling it what does the heart i'm going to use the heart right now 
It might be a tightening of the stomach. It might be a clenching of the shoulders or the jaw or whatever we feel when we find ourselves in the heat of um, aversion. Come to the body. Find, find, feel what suffering actually is in the body. And accepting that we're in pain, letting go of our views and opinions about this pain, and just being simply with the physical sensations of suffering. Where do I feel it in my body? And what this does is it brings us out of the proliferating mind that is just spinning, like a like a bicycle wheel spinning, and we stick a rod in the scope in the spokes and it stops the wheel. We're pulling the mind back into the body and we're stopping the spinning. We're not engaged in the mind that is spinning. We're not denying that the mind is spinning, but our attention is coming back, is coming down into the body. So it's like, we know there's violence going on in the screen. Say my television is over here and there's violence going on and it's disturbing me. It actually helps me to close my eyes and plug my ears and <laughs> nudge Alistair. Tell me when it's over. You know, and sometimes I even hum to myself so I, I can't hear it. <laughs> you know, I know that that's still happening, but I'm choosing to avert my attention in a way that is less disturbing. I know that the, that that's actually not real, that those are actors. And in that same sense, it's like, this isn't real. What I'm saying about uh, an email I got or a letter I got in the mail or whatever it is, what I'm telling myself in my head about this isn't real. It's It's words... It's fabrications. It's seeking evidence for my misery. It's going to spin. And oftentimes what will happen is we'll pull up other people that did similar things or we'll come up with excuses or whatever. But it's not real in the moment. It's just proliferation. And that proliferation is feeding our suffering. And so we want to disengage from feeding the suffering, from feeding our aversion, and disengage from it, bringing our attention into the body and feel where, what suffering does in the body. What does it feel like? So when my heart is constricted, it, I, it feels heavier than the rest of my body. It feels heavy. It actually sometimes feels sore. You know, and so just, oh, wow. This is, when we bring our attention to the suffering in the body, it's a very kind thing to do. And we disengage from feeding, you know, what we're looking for to blame for our suffering. That, 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 Blame is just projection. It doesn't matter what actually happened, but that suffering is caused by the ignorance of what's actually going on in the body right now. Grasping onto a view 
and clenching something in our body. I am so uncomfortable. And looking for words and incidences and memories that feed that anger. That's just feeding anger. So how do we disengage from that that feeding tube <laughs> of, you know, bringing our attention to the body. Physically, it feels like this. And as we do this, we start to relax. And just notice this, the moment, just kind of be curious about where's the moment where I can relax something in this body, something that's 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 caught something that's tense something that's constricted what small bit can i relax and physically feel and acknowledge that even the tiniest bit i've shared this before but i'll share it again it's the same process and this is a very very simple example as when I was a little girl, I was about seven, eight years old. We're having dinner at the family table. I'm sitting next to my favorite brother. <laughs> and uh, I have the hiccups. And it's annoying my brother. <laughs> and he said, listen, first people, the rest of the family is telling me, you know, quiet, close your mouth, be quiet, you know, you know drink water backwards or <laughs> whatever, hold your breath. And my, my older brother sitting next to me said, okay, look, this is what you do. Pay attention to where in your body you can feel that hiccup just about to happen before it happens. Where is it? See if you can identify where it is and f- and feel that hiccup before it happens and then as it happens. And so I did. I started concentrating. Okay, where is it? Where is it? Oh, I, th- I think I feel it's going to come. Right, yeah, it's going to come right here. Okay. And it never came. <laughs> it never came. And we can do that with our constrictedness in our body when we're suffering over something when we're grabbed onto a defilement and we start believing in the verbiage that we're spinning in our minds looking for evidence we're just you know we're inserting we we take the habit of looking you know looking for evidence that we have every right to suffer and we stick it down our throat <laughs> And we go, yeah, gluck, 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 gluck. We feed our aversions. We feed our defilements. We feed our delusions. We feed our greeds. You know, and if we just want to break that connection, that'll keep spinning, but it'll it'll lose its energy. You know, so get down into the body. Really concentrate on what does suffering feel like? Where... Where is it in my body and where does it be where does it actually end? Where are the corners of it? 
And, you know, it actually, let's relax just a bit. Can I just relax that constriction in the heart? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll notice it. It, all, all, it actually dissipates. It actually it allows it, the energy of the proliferating mind, the belief in what we're saying, it actually ends because we quit feeding it. It's easier to do when we, actually, when we practice on not believing on what we're saying. Not believing, just recognize that this, what I'm thinking right now, this evidence that I'm looking for on, on I have every right to blame that out there. And, and yeah, we can, we can justify it. We can be righteous about our views and we'll suffer for it. <laughs> but when we start to recognize that we can stop the suffering ourselves, doesn't mean we start we that the event that pissed us off in the first place is is over. It just means we quit suffering about it, and then we have a much broader view of which we can then be um, choose from. From this broad view, we can choose from uh, uh, with wisdom on which action to take. That's much more effective. You know, if we choose from our constricted view of ill will, we will not be taking very um, beneficial. We will harm ourselves and we will harm others. We can still take action, but we need to take it from a place of goodwill, um, a place of non-suffering. And if we start to feel ourselves suffering, stop, take a breath, return to the body, relax, we want to disengage from the hindrance before we take action. And then trust that we can still take action, but we'll take it from a place of goodwill. This is far more effective. I mean, the other might be effective too, but it's effective in, in increasing ill will. We want to increase goodwill. So Ajahn Pasano, I've read this before, but I don't recall exactly when I'm getting a cramp in my leg I'm going to put my foot up there we go um, but it's really worth reading here again in this book called Boundless View, Boundless Heart someone who cultivates these qualities of the Brahma Viharas becomes sensitive to the suffering they create for themselves and for others they are qualities that develop the heart, and by cultivating and abiding in them, one leans toward that which would bring happiness to others and to oneself. This is a fundamental truth. As your heart becomes sensitive and open, you realize that suffering is painful and do not want to abide in it. In another discourse, the Buddha again points to the development of the heart and to the fact that these wholesome qualities create a fullness of the heart. He says, monks, those noble disciples, thus feed from covetedness, freed from covetedness, freed from malevolent, I can't say it, Malev how do you say it? Malevolent. Say it? 
malevolence. <laughs> Freed from malevolence. Not bewildered, but self-possessed and concentrated, with hearts possessed of amity, also translated as loving-kindness, friendliness, and so on. Abide radiating, radiating one quarter, and then the second, and the third, and the fourth with loving-kindness, pervading the whole world with a heart immeasurable, grown great and boundless, free from enmity and untroubled. After going through the rest of the Brahma-viharas, the Buddha says that they come to know that formerly this heart of mine was confined. It was not made to grow, but now my heart is boundless, well made to grow. Moreover, my heart was limited to a certain range, but now it is not confined. It stays not in that range. Well made to grow is translated from the Pali word with the name root as bhavana, meaning meditation or mental development. It means, therefore, that these qualities enable the development of the mind. Also, as a result of this practice, feelings and thoughts that formerly were limited and constricted become boundless. The results permeate all aspects of one's life. Similarly, when one does something in a small-minded way, the results are limited. That's the way it works. The Buddha says that even for those who are still practicing and training, the cultivation of the Brahma-viharas is conducive to attaining higher levels of the path. So I'm talking about... I didn't use the word loving-kindness, but that's what we're talking about here. Um, loving-kindness is a doorway to all of the Brahma-viharas. Just as disengaging is a doorway to trust and discernment. And then delighting in the results of disengaging trust and discernment. Delighting helps strengthen the um, sensitivity to recognizing goodness. You know, to, our mind will naturally want to, wants to naturally dwell in delight. So the more we dwell in the beautiful results of practicing Dhamma, the more we recognize the beautiful results of disengaging, the trust that comes up, the optional the the option then for actually discerning what would be the good comma, delighting in that results, the more we'll want to do this, the more it will naturally come up, oh, disengage, and the rest can follow. Disengage, trust. I mean, trust then eventually turns into confidence, as I had mentioned before, because we see it. We see the results. We've delighted in it. We have confidence in this. In this, Quit feeding the hindrances. How do I do that? Come into the body. Relax. Don't believe in the mind that's looking for blame. Come into the body. Relax. Now discern. That which pissed me off can also ha provide me with the opportunity for good comma through my actions. What might that be? 
So I heard this story, a story pops into my mind. I heard this story in when I was doing Zen. I, I did Zen for a couple of years before I moved on to Theravadan, but... And I heard a story that um, was coming to mind. I don't know if it's in the Pali Canon or if it was a commentary from Zen books, but it was lovely. It was. It's a good story, I think, about about this very um, element of somebody that's very, very practiced in non-blaming and the benefit of that. And and that is, there was a monk who was uh, there was a. In the Buddhist time, way, way, long, long time ago, <laughs> a woman became pregnant with her boyfriend who her parents did not approve of. They weren't married. Um, and she desperately didn't want her parents to find out um, that, uh, that she was pregnant. So she ran off uh, saying that she was going to, you know, go visit another area, went went to another town, had the baby, and um, came back. I'm trying to remember how this story went. Oh, came back, and it was found out that she actually um, had a baby. And so she pretended, rather than saying it was the her boyfriend's baby, she said it was this uh, the monk. The, the abbot of the of the uh, village, it's his baby, you know, and and uh, I promise that I will leave him alone and and uh, disengage myself from him. But uh, she didn't want them to find out. She wanted to be able to carry on with her boyfriend, so she blamed it on the monk, who she felt wouldn't harm the child or or harm her. And the village, of course, was very upset, and people were blaming the monk, saying that's a bad monk. And he just said, oh, well, then let the child live here at the monastery. And uh, and so the child lived with him. He lost his reputation, but he never spoke ill. And uh, And then by the time the child was six, the woman was allowed to marry her boyfriend, the man that she loved, and so she uh, confessed so that she could go back and raise a child with her. It's a crazy story. Uh, and so that she came back and she apologized, and the monk said, okay, yes, you may take the child. Uh, yes, this is true. Um, and although the, the monk did say, no, this is not true, he was never, he didn't get angry, he didn't uh, make a fuss, he didn't fight, he didn't, he 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 didn't resist, but he just said, "Let me take care of the child." So he didn't worry about his reputation. What he worried about was that this child needed now to be cared for. You know, so he cared for the child, and then eventually uh, he was exonerated. But neither the praise that he received when he was exonerated, nor the blame that he received, changed his attitude of being kind and seeing what good he could offer the world. You know, there was, it wouldn't help to keep fighting. Uh, It wouldn't help to blame the other person. What was needed and what he could see because he didn't have a constricted viewpoint. 
was that this child needed to be tended to. And uh, we can do this, we can do this same thing with the, I mean, I don't think anything that dramatic is going to happen for any of us. And I can't say that I would be <laughs> able to maintain that kind of equanimity or wisdom. But I can see the benefit of not getting angry, not blaming somebody who may be blaming me for something that either I didn't do or they misunderstand or misconstrued. What, what happens when we don't constrict our view to um, that pain that we feel, that we feel we need to get defensive um, about we don't need to def- if we don't need to defend ourselves we can st- we can actually discern where's the opportunity for good karma here what action can i take or not take that will result in good karma which results in the happiness for myself and for others <laughs>